Well, if you have a Bible with you, um, or in front of you, in the, under the chairs there, you can turn to the last chapter of the letter to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we are going to cover that whole chapter together. And then next week, I am excited to um, start our study through the book of Acts. And I'll tell you what, I had a great conversation yesterday with one of our favorite people, Brian Barrett, almost Dr. Brian Barrett. Uh, I talked to him for about an hour yesterday, and we had a great talk. Um, and he's had some major health issues. Some of you are aware of that. Just um, hard, hard to know exactly what's going on. The doctors are still trying to figure some of that out. But uh, overall, uh, he's doing well. And his classes start up in September as well. So if you think, we'll pray for him. But we talked about, near the end of our conversation, the book of Acts. And he had some awesome insights, as usual. So I'm looking forward to sharing some of those to you. And... Um, yeah, I'll, I'll save that for next week. Let's get started then with 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is a big chunk of verses. And basically what Paul's doing in this section of 1 Corinthians is, is tackling some what you call maybe housekeeping issues as he draws to a close. And then at the very end of this letter, he's been dictating the letter all along. Um... We talked about this, uh, and we have talked about this in the past, but paper was very expensive back then. You didn't just write long letters as an average person, okay? You wrote short little letters because paper was very expensive. If you, parchment, and if you were going to write a long letter like Paul's writing, you would hire somebody, or if that person was a Christian, they might volunteer to write a letter for you. That's probably why Paul is saying Paul and Sosthenes in the very beginning. They're both writing this together. And others were around having input. And you'll see that at the end. It's like, hey, Priscilla and Aquila say hi. And Apollos says hi. And so-and-so is there. It's like they're all there together. This letter didn't, he didn't just like sit down alone in a room with Ben and write this. As some, some of us may have just like, this was a long process. And there was a lot of thought. And the, 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 the scribes would write very tiny and perfectly neat to maximize paper. Like if you said something wrong, you didn't want to have, like, be like, oh, whoops, throw that one out, we'll start again. No, like they're worth 50 bucks kind of a thing. Yeah, I, I don't know, I'm just making up a number. But you, you, don't, you don't do that, right? So Paul, at the very end of his letter, one thing he loved to do is go, okay, I'll give you the pen. He's like, oh my gosh, I don't know if we've got room for this, Paul. And he'll even say in a letter to Galatians, see what large letters I'm using with my own hand? Um, it's like, yeah, it's like chicken scratch, right? Um, but Paul loves to write the endings of his letters. And here, he's going to do the same thing in verse 21. He grabs the pen from the scribe and goes, my turn. And he writes his final greeting to the Corinthians. And... I love how he ends the whole letter. <laughs> I love you guys. Amen. <laughs> so we'll look at that in a minute. We'll get there. Let's start at verse 1. He says, verse 1 of chapter 16, Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. What do you tell them to do? We don't know. Well, he, he explains. Verse 2, On the first day of every week, that's a Sunday, 
Every, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you. So now he backs up and says a little more details about his journey to them. After I'll go through Macedonia and come to you. For I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, even or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go, wherever I go next. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit, I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you. Don't scare the poor guy. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one, then, should treat him with contempt. Don't scorn him. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. Or maybe it sounded something like this. Got Apollos, things are a mess there. Can you go with Timothy and help him out? Uh, there's a lot to sort out. And Paul, says, Paul says, no, I'm too, I, I'm too busy. I, I can't. And so he says, verse, verse 12, he was quite unwilling to go, but he will go when he has opportunity. Verse 13, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers, and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they, they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here say hi and send greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. See, he grabs a pen. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. So this morning, there's a lot of ground to cover. There's not really what I would call usually a main idea, a, a super succinct sentence that ties everything in this chapter together neatly, because it's really a collection of different related topics. I mean, first, Paul says, collect money for God's people. And then he says, hey, here's a little bit about my travel plans. And then he tells, remember to love people. And then he's like, and we all love you, and I love you, and say hi. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a I'm not saying random, there's intentionality to it, but it's, 
it's hard to say um, this is the main idea, but there's a common thread that ties this all together, a common theme that holds chapter 16 together, and really the whole letter. Love Jesus, love people, love the family of Jesus. And so I'll say that's the main idea of this chapter. Keep loving Jesus and love Jesus' family. And there's four parts to this chapter, four sections, kind of emphasizing different parts of that. Verses 1 to 4, Paul's going to lay out some guidelines for collecting a financial love offering for needy Christians in Jerusalem. Loving other Christians by meeting their financial needs. It's central to what Paul's writing in these four verses. Then, in verses 5 to 12, Paul's going to outline his travel plans. And again, if you have a bulletin, I've got all this on the back here. His travel plans. At the heart of his plans is loving others by traveling to tell them the good news about Jesus and to strengthen them in their faith. Everything Paul does is driven by that goal. Then in verses 13 to 18, Paul's going to give a final word of command or a charge to the Corinthian church. Um, verse 14 is our memory verse for the month, right? It sums up what is at the heart of his commands to the church. Let all that you do be done in love. Love for Jesus and love for Jesus' people. And then fourth and finally in verses 19 to 24, the apostle, like I said, picks up his pen and writes down a final greeting, warning them against falling away from loving Jesus and telling them greet each other and then say, I love you. So, first section, verses 1 to 4, a collection for God's family. Paul tells the Corinthians here, he wants them to do the same thing that apparently he had told the Galatian churches to do. To set aside money for the first day of the week. Now that would be a Sunday, at the day that the early church was gathering to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Huh, they're doing what we're doing. Right? 2,000 years Later, the pattern began very early on, meeting on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection. And Paul says this money, they ought to set aside it, and literally the words are, as they may prosper. As you may prosper. In other words, in accordance with how God has blessed you, set money aside. He doesn't say 10%. He doesn't say set aside all you own or 50%. He just says, as God has blessed you, or as the NIV tries to interpret what's going on, it says, in accordance or in keeping with your income. Set aside something in keeping or in accordance with your income. If it's a million dollars, maybe 500,000. If it's $20, maybe one. You know, he doesn't give specifics. Let the Lord lead you in this. Set it aside, remembering Jesus gave all, right? And Paul is going to explain this collection a lot more in his other letter to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians, which we're not going to teach in the near future, but we will someday. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 especially 
Paul explains what he's trying to avoid in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You don't have to turn there. Basically, what Paul's trying to avoid is this big scramble for funds when the Macedonian Christians arrive along with him, these poor Christians from Philippi in, in Macedonia, arrive with Paul in the rich city of Corinth to take up a collection. Hey, we're going to Jerusalem. These guys scraped it together and had a lot of money for Jerusalem for these poor Christians in Jerusalem. These Jewish people have been persecuted and they've had a family. They have no money. They have no food. Some of them are in jail. And we're going to bring them all this money. Look at what these poor Philippian Christians and Galatian Christians raised. What do you rich Corinthians got? Oh, dang it. Oh, I only got a dollar with me. Um, you know? Whoa! You know, how embarrassing to the, to the fame of Jesus, right? And to the work of God in the Corinthian church. And what Paul's trying to coach them, especially in 2 Corinthians, is I want you to be ready. But here he, he alludes it. He says, he, he says, I want you to set some aside on the first day of the week so that when I come and when everybody comes with me to take up this collection, you'll have a substantial amount ready to give. And so Paul says, um, and, and then Paul kind of details, he says, maybe I'll go along with to bring the money, maybe not. Some of you guys are going to go with as well. What Paul wanted is he wanted... To, so he was going to write letters of introduction, he said, to the believers who had, from Corinth um, who were going to be carrying the money along with the believers from Galatia and the believers from Macedonia. There was going to be a big group of Christians traveling across the Roman Empire with all this cash collected from Gentile churches, non-Jewish churches, to give to these poor saints in Jerusalem. And Paul wants the Corinthians to be a part of this for their good as well as for the good of the Jewish Christians. This is a huge opportunity for these Gentiles to show love to the family of Jesus that's in need as a global church. And not just lob cash at their problems, but also send people with, with letters from Paul saying, hey, this is Brother Steve, or Brother, you know, I'm trying to think of names, Brother Justin, um, and, and he's a godly saint, and he loves you guys, and he wants to, um, th this is who he is, you know, how you know, a speaker might get introduced in front of before a speaking service, so Paul would write letters of introduction for all these people. Or he might go along with, he says, in verses 1 to 4, depending on what's going on, he doesn't know yet. In which case, you wouldn't really need a letter of introduction, because he would be the letter of introduction. So, from this section, what, what, what can we gather for us? Like, is there any takeaways in verses 1 to 4 that we can learn from? Well, first, I think a takeaway, jumping right to application, uh, gradual giving on a regular basis is wise. Paul knows the human heart. As, mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, he says a lot more about this in 2 Corinthians chapters 9 and 10. However, Paul knows that if we have money, we tend to spend that money right away. And so, 
it's a good idea to give regularly as God blesses you with money to give rather than waiting till the last minute and having to scramble to come up with maybe very little or maybe not depending on the day right so the regular giving weekly or even bi-weekly that you know every other week Paul is saying this is a wise thing to do second the best way to love others is with a face Paul doesn't want to just send the money with a small group from one church but with ambassadors from all of the churches across the emperor, empire. These gifts are not anonymous gifts to the Jewish Christians that are suffering in Jerusalem. These gifts, Paul wants this financial gift to have names and faces attached to it. Gifts of love from actual people that Paul wants these poor Jewish Christians to meet and to be encouraged by. So, I think from this we can glean, you know, I, I know it's not wrong if you want to give somebody a gift anonymously. However, sometimes it can actually be a big act of love to let someone know that you love them. And you want to support them and encourage them and help them with a financial gift. And share with them what God has shared with you. Help them with a part of what God has helped you. Not so that they praise you and think you're awesome, but so that they feel particularly loved by you and not just anonymous, right? So that they know that not just somebody out there cares about me, but that you care about me, all right? So again, I'm not, sometimes God may lay it upon your heart to, to do an anonymous gift, and that can really bless somebody, and we've been blessed by that before. I'm not saying that's wrong. There is a time and place for that, but I'm saying it's not wrong to let people know. I want you to know that I love you, and I want to give this, God has shared this with me, and I want to bless you this way. And that's what Paul wanted these, Gentile, these Jewish Christians to know, is that we, you are going through some terrible trials in Jerusalem. We don't want to. We don't have time. We talked about some of what was crazy going on when we preached through the Book of Daniel. All right, with all the nutty things going on at the temple and the uprisings there, and Roman armies coming, and the famine, and just craziness. And they're going through huge trials. And these Gentile Christians aren't feeling it as much around the Roman Empire at this time. They're doing pretty well. And so Paul is sending this gift to the Jews in Jerusalem to show that the family of Jesus is together, not divided by Jew and Gentile, male and female, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. No, you're all one in Christ Jesus. All right, so let's look at the second section of verses. Paul's upcoming travel plans. Verses 5 to 12. He lays out for the Corinthians his tentative plans for travel. At the time of writing, he's writing this letter in the city of Ephesus. You may remember that from some of our previous conversations about this book. And, and Paul, as he's writing from Ephesus, this letter, 1 Corinthians, 
He's hoping to visit them soon. He'll probably wait a while to leave, though, he says, until maybe the time of Pentecost. And in verse 9, he explains why. It's because, why do I want to wait? Well, ministry's going great here. There's a door open for ministry in Ephesus. Even though, he says, verse 9, there are many who opposed me. Paul has already described those people that oppose him back in 15, chapter 15, verse 32. He calls them beasts in Ephesus. He faced wild beasts in Ephesus. It doesn't mean he's tangling with lions in the Colosseum, as some Christians did, because, um, yeah, you don't live through that. Uh, the wild beasts he's facing are people who are hostile to the message of Jesus. Acts chapter 19, verse 10, which we're going to preach through in well, probably quite a while. Uh, 19 is quite down the road. But it describes these beasts. They're most likely Jews in Ephesus who oppose Jesus. Paul, um, uh, I'll read uh, 19, verse 10. Well, verses 9 and 10 of Acts. Paul entered the synagogue, that's a Jewish house of worship in Ephesus, and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. So he's speaking in a Jewish house of worship, arguing with them about God's kingdom, and namely the king that God has appointed, being Jesus. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. This is happening in Ephesus, where Paul's writing this letter to Corinth. Maybe writing the letter to Corinth while this is going on. He be, um, he took disciples with him. Oh, so they really didn't like him after that. The synagogue lost members to Paul. Um, and and he took them with him, and now he goes to a Gentile place. He, he has discussions daily with these Jewish people and Gentiles, whoever will listen, in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years. So that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, not just Ephesus, heard the word of the Lord. So Paul there in Acts is facing hostility from Jewish people. And that seems to be what he says in um, 1 Corinthians 16 and 15. I face beasts in Ephesus. Wild beasts. Why would he call Jews that are hostile to the messianic king, the son of man, beasts? Daniel 7. And I'll leave it there. <laughs> We've went over that. That language of beasts arising against the son of man. And these beasts are humans. Um, and so Paul now is saying, I faced opposition, but there's an open door. Okay? There's an open door for ministry. His travel plans are open to what the Lord wants him to do. And if God opens doors for ministry, I'm sorry guys, but I'm going to stay. Now look at 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 to 7. Um, Paul is describing his future plans. When he does finally leave Ephesus, he says, I'm going to go through Macedonia, and I'm going to visit the churches there. Churches like the church in Philippi. And I'll, I'll touch base with them on the way to Corinth. When I finally arrive to see you, I hope to stay not just for a passing visit, 
but to camp out with you a while. Okay? And he gives his reason there. He wants it, them to maybe help him on his next mission's journey. So that if he stays with them, he just doesn't show up for a day asking for financial help, but he's there for a season casting vision, and then they would support him where he's going next. So that they're not just sending money to the poor Christians in Jerusalem, but they are um, giving opportunity for others to hear the gospel through Paul by supporting his mission's work. Now, if you remember, did Paul accept any money from the Corinthians when he was preaching the gospel to them? Not a dime. He worked night and day so he wouldn't touch their stuff because they had money problems. And when Christians from Philippi came with money to help him, poor Christians, he, he relied on their support to preach the gospel to the Corinthians. Now he's saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to stay a while. And his goal is, yeah, to help encourage them there. But then they can give him funds and help on wherever he's going next. So he's not opposed to taking their money, whether it's to help poor Christians in Jerusalem or to go preach the gospel somewhere else. But he doesn't want to be their paid pet preacher there in Corinth that they can brag about. So I think that's all I'll say there. But just, just notice, that's his goal. Is he wants them to help him tell others about Jesus wherever he's going next. Verses 10 and 11 of chapter 16, he gives the believers in Corinth instructions then on how to treat Timothy, who is going to come um, and be a part of the, the letter-bringing process. Timothy's maybe even going to be the one reading this letter, 1 Corinthians, to them. We learned back in chapter 4, verse 17, 17 of this letter, that Timothy, um, he was entrusted with the task of bringing the letter. So chapter 4, verse 17 is where you see it. Timothy was supposed to read this, or bring this letter, maybe even read it to them and of reminding the church of how Paul lived. So um, Paul wants them to respect Timothy, even though he's young, to be kind to him. Don't give him a reason to be afraid of you guys. He's on King Jesus. Um, now, if you remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, uh, we read about how some of the Corinthians were saying, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Jesus. Well, now, it seems like Apollos was kind of a big deal to the uh, Corinthians. They really liked him. He was popular. And so, he's with Paul in Ephesus right now. And imagine, you know, their favorite preacher, one of their favorite preachers. Well, Paul doesn't show up. And Apollos doesn't show up. He said this young little guy, Timothy. Like, are we not important to you? Like, why, 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 why didn't you come? Why didn't Apollos come? What's going on? And so Paul explains. He's like, well, I tried to send Apollos, but he had, just like I had an open door here, he has a lot of work going on for the gospel here. And he's discipling a lot of people here. Um, and so he wants you to know that he loves you, but he can't come on this trip. He will come when he's able. So that's the, the you know, brief summary, walking through some of the, the travel plans that Paul has 
And he wants, in all those travel plans, um, you know, he's, he's just trying to help the Corinthians get up to speed on what he's doing, why he's not coming, because God's gospel is going forward. Same with Apollos. And when he does come, I want you to be thinking, you know, first, what can I give to help the, the church in Jerusalem? But also, I want you to be thinking, um, how can I support Paul on whatever's next? Now, Paul, in verses 13 to 18, is going to give a final charge to the church. So look at verse 13. It says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. I hope that verse is familiar to you by now. Um, it's been our verse of the month for the whole month of August. Now, the word be on your guard there that you see is a word that can also be translated be watchful. Some of your translations may even have that. Uh, another word for somebody who's being a guard is somebody who's keeping watch. The guard for the camp keeps Watch duty, right? Watch and guard are the same concept in this context here. And the language that Paul is using about staying watchful, being on guard, it comes from Jesus himself. I'll read that to you. Mark 14, 37 to 38. Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. He's in great anguish. He's crying out to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. He's facing the most brutal execution known to humankind. Crucifixion. And what are his disciples doing? Does anybody remember? Sleeping. They're all sleeping. And he goes and he says, could you not watch for one hour? Watch, same word, watch and pray. Be on guard and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus' words. And because the disciples did not keep watch and pray and be alert, they were totally unprepared spiritually and even physically for what happened next. The guards of the temple show up, and they arrest Jesus, and the disciples all run from him. Or, like Peter, at first, do a very fleshly move and try to fight for his deliverance. And Jesus rebukes him, and then he runs. Keep watch, or you might grow sluggish and sleepy and wake up and find yourself far from Jesus and his agendas. Keep watch. In verse 13, that's what Paul is saying. Just like the Lord said, be watchful, be wakeful. I want you to not be a sleepy Christian, but to be awake, to be watchful. Don't be sluggish. Stay close to the Lord. Stand firm in the faith, verse 13. This is a word that begins and ends 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the resurrection. We looked at that last week. Stand firm in the gospel at the beginning. Stand firm at the end of 1 Corinthians. This word also shows up at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians in verse 8, where the apostle starts his letter saying, 
God's grace has been shown to you, and boy, he knows that this church is a mess, but he just trusts us. He says, God will keep you firm to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of Jesus. I'm banking on God to keep you firm. Not on yourselves, ultimately, but on the Lord to keep you firm. And yet he still calls them to stand firm because one way that God, one way that God keeps his people standing firm is by being told, stand firm, <laughs> right? God keeps his people standing firm and clinging to Jesus by the scriptures calling them to stand firm and cling to Jesus. That's the way, one way, that God keeps us firm is by hearing his word. The warnings and the calls are the means by which God stirs up the saints, the people, to persevere and to stand firm. And so one huge theme of Corinthians that shows up in verse chapter 1, verse 8, and in chapter 15, and here in chapter 16, verse 13, is that believers stand firm. Don't move. Don't drift. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the Lord who's able to give you strength to not lose your grip on the good news about the risen Jesus and about living for him. Then, Paul writes a phrase here that comes straight from his Bible, his Old Testament. He says, be courageous, be strong. If I reverse that and say, be strong and courageous, did any of you guys remember who in the Bible was told by God to be strong and courageous? Joshua. Joshua. Yeah, good job. Okay, be strong and courageous. That's one place. There's a couple other places where this phrase, strong and courageous, show up in the Psalms and in Samuel. But God, in this famous chapter in Joshua 1, verses 7 to 9, God tells Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips, Joshua. So he's describing being strong and courageous. You have to be strong and courageous to keep this law because everything around you is going to be tempting you to disobey God. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Verse 9, probably the one most of us memorized is this one. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Let nothing move you. Paul's been meditating on this. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So at the close of his letter, verse 13 and 14 of chapter 16, Paul borrows this phrase from Joshua. And he adds it to his call to the believers, the call of Jesus to be watchful and stand firm in your trust. And just like Joshua so long ago, the Lord will be with them wherever they go. How do we see that? Well, look at the last verse of 1 Corinthians letter. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. The Lord is with you as we go, as this letter ends. And Paul then says, everything that you do, do in love. Years before, God is calling Joshua to be strong and courageous and don't drift to the left or to the right from the law. 
Meditate on the law day and night. What does Paul say and Jesus say fulfills the whole law? Love. Okay? Love of God and love of neighbor fulfills everything that's in the law. So what Paul is doing here is summarizing God's call to Joshua. He's saying, be strong, be courageous, don't be terrified, don't move. Let everything you do be love. Love, love, love. Then Paul says, so this is the first of his charges to them. And it's a packed one. And then he writes another command in verses 15 to 18. He gives some background information. He says, you guys remember the household of Stephanus? You, you know them. That's Stephanus, your buddy. They were the first ones to come to Christ in Achaia. And they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I mean, they poured themselves out for Jesus. They are a great example of what I just said in verse 13 and 14. Right? As we say, verses 13 and 14 is what I want you to do. You remember Stephanus? He does that. In his household. I urge you, brothers and sisters, verse 16, submit to such people and everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when that guy, Stephanus, and Fortunatus and Achaeus arrived. These are people that the Corinthians had sent to Paul. So these guys, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus, most likely are still in Ephesus with Paul. And they brought these the letter to Paul from the Corinthians saying, what do we do about food sacrifice idols? What do we do about marriage? What do we do about this? What do we do about that? And they also brought some reports, maybe along with some of Chloe's people that we read in chapter or they, they brought some reports to Paul about some of the crazy things going on. And he says, I was glad when they arrived. And, and now, and they also brought Paul some encouragement. Verses 17 to 18, they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Everything I heard about you was pretty discouraging, but these guys encouraged me. <laughs> this guy seems to be some of what he's saying here. Uh, such men deserve recognition. And Paul says, follow these guys. They're coming back to you. Maybe they've already come back. We, we can't tell. But he says, these guys are following Jesus. Follow their lead. Leaders who are running well are worth following as you follow Christ. As long as you don't fight over them, like you've been fighting over them, in chapters 1 to 4 that we learned about. And now, verses 19 to 24, we come to the end. Paul grabs the pen from his scribe, Sosthenes, and he says, Mike, hope we got a lot of paper left. And he writes a few final thoughts in the form of a final greeting. That's point four, a final greeting. Verse 19 the churches in the province of Asia, these would be churches that he or his um, fellow workers planted, they send you greetings. So I'm saying, they say hi. You, ever, you meet somebody and they say, tell Holly I said hi. How many times do you remember <laughs> to tell someone that someone said hi? I probably have like 25%. Maybe I shouldn't admit that. Uh, 
Then he writes, but here he's doing it in writing. All right, tell them I said hi. Then he writes, Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. They say hi. And so does the church that meets at their house. Their whole church says hi. Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila, they were a married couple who were some of Paul's biggest ministry supporters and partners in the gospel. Like they were the dynamic duo, Priscilla and Aquila. They were quite a team. We're going to read about them in the book of Acts. They were based right now in Ephesus with Paul. They had a church meeting in their house, and as he's writing to them, to the court, to the as he's writing to Corinthians. Now, perhaps they, along with Apollos, a man they had discipled, perhaps they were even helping Paul as he writes this letter. I mean, I kind of get this picture. I mentioned a little earlier, you know, Paul is sitting here with his pen in his hand. He's surrounded from time to time with Priscilla, Aquila, Apollos, Timothy. Make sure you tell them I said hi. Okay, okay that's what's going on here. Sophonies is writing it down. They're thinking, maybe he's saying, how does this sound? Or what should I say here? Ultimately, it's all coming from his dictation as the Lord leads. But we get lots of opportunities to see teamwork at, at work in the, uh, the letters that Paul writes. And you see him especially in these greetings. All the brothers and sisters, verse 20, greet you. So everyone in Ephesus says hi. And now, greet one another. Now you say hi to each other. <laughs> greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, in Paul's culture, much like Israel and the Middle East and South America today, a kiss on the cheek was a form of greeting, a warm greeting. It was a way that people who loved and cared about each other said hello in that day and age. And so here, what Paul is doing, he's counseling the Corinthian church to be a church where warmth and love flow through their interactions with each other. Warm, family-like greetings that fit a culture's normal greetings are totally appropriate within the family of Jesus. We are family. Might look like a hug. Might look like a formal handshake or a high five in certain circles. Whatever it looks like to give a warm family greeting in holiness and appropriateness is appropriate in the family of Jesus. In our church, probably not a kiss. Okay? Although maybe somebody comes who's from South America and they want to give kisses. I don't know if you've ever been kissed. I've have many times. We had a guy at Moody who was, was Jewish, and that's how he greeted you. Kiss on the cheek. Um, and showed this affection. We're family. Now, let's look at Paul's final words. Verse 21. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. I always see who's writing it. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. A curse beyond them, is what he says. This is a sobering, sobering warning. It's startling at the end of a letter. It's like, of all the things he'd want you to know at the end, he picks up the pen and he says, if you don't love Jesus, there's a curse that's resting on you. Why would he say that? What does he mean? 
have to understand Paul's Bible to understand what he means. Paul is a man who is absolutely saturated with the Hebrew scriptures. And in Paul's reading of the Bible, he knows that a curse follows Adam and Eve's rebellion against God in the garden. And a curse follows the nation of Israel's constant rebellion against God while they're in the promised land, leading to their exile away from the garden, or away from the land. Curse is the absence of God's blessing and God's life. We bring curse on ourselves when we run from the God of life. And here Paul simply says that the curse rests even on those who claim to follow Jesus in the, in the church, but are not loving him. And then he says, come Lord Jesus. Come, show up. That great letter of 1 Corinthians ends with a cry, much like the cry at the end of the book of Revelation. Come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come that we are still echoing today. But, in the meantime, says Paul, Jesus' grace, the gift of his love, will be with you. The grace of Jesus be with you, he says. And then he says, I love you guys. Amen. And the letter ends. At this letter's closing, there's two things that I think Paul would want you to walk away with that I want us to walk away with. One, love Jesus. That's Paul's goal in the letter. The main thing that Paul is driving at all throughout this letter is to help the Corinthian Christians learn to love the Lord, to love the Lord Jesus, and to love each other, to love the humble sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross and to love it so much that it humbled you. If my Savior would humble himself to death, even death on a cross, what am I doing lifting myself up above other people, feeling better than them? He died for me. I was that sinful. I need forgiveness. love the victory of Jesus over death as he rose. The victory he spent the whole of chapter 15 celebrating. To love that victory. To just let resurrection. I love every Sunday morning Richard posts on Facebook the Lord is risen. Right? I love that. Don't always get to like it or heart it, but man. To, to fall in love with the resurrection. To love and treasure the rule and reign of Jesus even right now as he rules from his heavenly throne as king. To fall in love with the goodness of his kingly rule and the peace that that brings in any storm. Jesus is in control. And he's with me. To treasure the commands of Jesus all what loving Jesus means, to treasure the commands of Jesus that are given for our good. 
about how we ought and ought not to use these bodies that he has created to put his honor on display in this world. And to learn to treasure the promises of Jesus about our future and to treasure the kindness of Jesus every day. Paul wants the Corinthian church and all churches everywhere to be deeply moved with affection, which means to be affected by the beauty of the Lord Jesus. Love Jesus. Treasure Jesus. Find Jesus attractive. And the only way that you can do that is by looking at Jesus, by spending time with Jesus in his word and in prayer, by talking to him, singing to him, spending time with his family so that you can see him at work in other people, helping them grow. Love Jesus. That's not just a command, right? Like, okay, gotta suck it up and do it. Just love him. Try harder. No. Love is a little different than that, right? When you, we, we, we love, we're attracted, we have affection for things that we find beautiful. And so, to grow in your love for Jesus means keep looking at Jesus. Keep looking at his gospel that Paul has packed with the letters. Keep looking at the goodness of his resurrection, the goodness of his forgiveness, the goodness of his kindness, the goodness of his justice, that he will deal with evil. That sin will not have the last word. Love the Lord Jesus. And love people. First Corinthians 13, stay awake, stand firm, be strong, be courageous, and verse 14, love. But all that you do be done in love. Love Jesus and love people. As a church, right, we're gearing up for fall. And school is starting. Sports is ramping up. Hunting season starting. Life is busy. Crazy busy. A million things that you and I could do with our time. And probably most of them would be good things. May love be what regulates you. Prayerful, spirit-guided love. Love for Jesus. Love for neighbor. Love for the family of Jesus. After this massive letter that Paul wrote, filled with hard things, right? filled with countless hours of thought, I'm sure, he ends by saying, I love you. Amen. And I just pray that this would be our final words to each other. I love you. And I want to labor for your good. It's true. I just want to pray that over us right now as we go into this fall. As summer is crazy, fall is crazy, life is busy. Especially in, I feel like in America, right? Maybe we're a little, a very fast-paced nation. And uh, some of it has to do with our mobility. We all have cars. We have the ability to drive places and be a part of a million things. Something that 
50 years ago, even 80 years ago, you know, people didn't experience. It was the farm and the farm. <laughs> the walk to school. Um, so so we're, we're busy. And that's okay. But in and through it all, may the Spirit guide you in the path of love. And that looks different for all of us. We need to pray about it. We need wisdom. God, what is the most loving thing for me today to do. Well, maybe I just need to rest. Recharge my mind and heart. Sit at your feet. Hear from you so that I can have the strength to pour myself out to others. What is it for you? What is God calling you? What's the thing? Lord, I thank you for the love of Jesus shown at the cross, shown in the resurrection, shown in his life pours himself out for us and shown in his promises shown in his justice in his goodness shown in his faithfulness in his steadiness Lord I praise you for Jesus' love and I pray that that would be more and more attractive to us as Jesus' family help us to be captured may our hearts be captured by the Lord Jesus and I ask Lord that you would help us to hear from you this week ways that you are calling us to grow in our affection for Jesus. Give us promises to hold on to this week about what you have in store for us. An inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Lord, thrill our hearts with this and make it grow our affection for Jesus. Our hope in Jesus our perseverance when things get hard. Lord, capture our hearts this week with Jesus, our Creator, our Savior, our King, our Friend. And I pray, Father, that you would also guide each one of us and guide me as one of the leaders of our church in what it looks like to love. To love you love neighbor, to love sacrificially, to love consistently, to love hopefully, to love patiently, to love with kindness, to love with goodness, to love without cynicism, to love and pour myself out for others without a cynical martyr complex. Only I care. Lord, please help us to love like you have loved us. Give us wisdom about how to love. Lord, in our modern age with constant accessibility through our phones and through our emails and through our digital technologies, Lord, we, we have limitless opportunities to interact with people from near and far to the ends of the earth. Help us love our family. And I pray, Father, that you would give us guidance of the thousands of things that we could drive to and do. Limitless things. We need your wisdom. We need your help. I pray that we would be like Jesus, who just always seemed to live in the moment. On his way to one thing, he could just stop and heal someone and pour into them. I just pray that you would 
us to look to him for guidance each day in what we do. Thank you for your care for us. Help us this fall to love Jesus, to love people, for the honor of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.